0: The scripture reading for today is taken from the first epistle of Peter, the first epistle of Peter, and we'll be reading 1 Peter 1, the verses 13 to 21, and you will be able to find that on page 1390 of your pew Bible. As far Peter has been writing to the pilgrims in the dispersion, and he's been speaking to them about how their sufferings help them to rejoice because it shows the genuineness of their faith in their sufferings they have been driven to lean on Jesus Christ, their Savior, more and more. And he encourages them to dwell and to remain focused on that salvation. We come to verse 13 of 1 Peter. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. And we'll be focusing on the first few verses of this passage Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you in the revelation of Christ Jesus. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to your former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. The word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what a joy and the privilege it is to be gathered here today as saints and as children of the King. We have an especially large number of worshipers with us here today, and that's because we'll be celebrating Thanksgiving this coming Monday. Everyone wants to get away for the long weekend holiday. Everyone wants the opportunity to sit back and enjoy the blessings that are poured out on family and friends and what a precious thing this is. Because of this it's deeply appropriate that we lead the way into thanksgiving day with a day of worship, of prayer, and of praise. As many of us have the opportunity to smell the aroma of a meal that's been cooked especially for Thanksgiving Day, and listen to the pleasant chatter of those around us this week. We're given reason for joy and laughter. Now, that doesn't mean that there are those among us who don't have sorrows, despite the holiday joy around us. But even in those situations where we are not able to celebrate in the same way that many others around us are able to celebrate, we still have reason for giving thanks. Because we have a God and a Father who is with us in our circumstances, despite our circumstances, working even through our sufferings. As we see in the lead-up in the first epistle for Peter, and as we saw last week, as or 2 weeks ago when we worked through this as a congregation for those of us who are here we were reminded that our sufferings even our sufferings give us the opportunity to find that assurance that Jesus Christ is alive in us and to respond by walking in the light if we believe the lord in the lord Jesus Christ we are given the joy of having a hope that lies ahead of us. And we are taught that the sorrows of this life seem as light and momentary in comparison. And it is with the theme of those verses ringing in our minds that we come to our passage that lies before us today. In light of the many things that we have to be thankful to God for, especially in light of the salvation and eternity granted us through Jesus Christ, our living hope, we look to the passage that's before us today under the following theme and points, living thankfully in the presence of our Father. And we'll see that, first of all, living thankfully in obedience, and secondly, living in holiness. That first word that we look at in relation to Peter's letter, obedience, is not always a word that we like to hear unless we're requiring it. You boys and girls, if you hear the word obedience, chances are that you're on the receiving end of it, being told that obedience is what you're missing right now. Parents, you know that you want your children to be obedient, but all of us recognize that we ourselves might squirm a little bit if we are the ones ourselves who are told that we need to be obedient. Obedience is not a pretty word in society today. In modern culture, especially when the word obedience is used in a religious setting, it immediately brings to mind pictures of oppression. Hollywood delights in portraying Preachers, religious leaders, in one of two ways. They are the preachers of the Hollywood gospel of acceptance and tolerance at all costs. Or else they are tyrants who demand absolute loyalty and who use religion to impose their own will on the people. If you've seen protesters in the news wearing costumes connected to TV shows that show religious figures as being oppressive, you can recognize that this doesn't just end in the world of Hollywood, but it extends throughout culture and society today. They believe that religious leaders use religion to get what they want, even if it's immoral or wrong. There is no in-between in the eyes of the world. Personal happiness is what rules the day. They believe that you either let people do what they want to do with your blessing, as long as it makes them happy, or else you're a tyrant and probably a cult leader too. But as we come into our passage today, as we look at the word of God that's laid out before us and we hear the call to obedience, we have to ask ourselves, is that what Peter is expressing here? Is that the kind of person he is when he is calling people to be obedient? Is he a tyrant? To understand the context in which Peter is calling us to obedience, let's look at the first word that we find in our text here, the word therefore. This word is a small word. But a lot hangs on top of, on it. You see, God doesn't just call us to obedience. Of course, as creator and upholder of the world, he could very well do that. And for those who are outside of Christ, he does do that. He says, I created you, and therefore you are called to be obedient to me. He is God. And he has every right, therefore, to do what he wants with his creation. He gave us life and breath. We owe him everything just for that alone. But for those who have put their faith in Christ, God gives a much richer and a much more beautiful reason to live for him. And that's what the word, therefore, right at the beginning of our passage points to. We're not primarily called to obedience just because God is demanding it of us as his created beings. We're called to obedience as a response for what's already been done through Christ for us. Christ, with his suffering and his death on the cross, bought an inheritance for us. He bought us into the family of God And he gave us all the rights and privileges that come with being in the family of God. We talked about that in previous weeks when looking at the passage that came up right before us, right before this one. If a slave in the ancient world was made an heir, he would immediately be lifted up to the position of a son. No one would look at him any differently because he happened to come from a different background. He was family now. This was his position. And so, too, in light of that, we are called to respond. Peter follows that up. On that basis, he follows it up with the words, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that's, a mo- that's an odd phrase to our modern ears. But it's a phrase that comes from the day when men wore tunics. And as they were getting ready to do heavy work, they would lift them up and they would tuck them into their belts. Today's equivalent might be, roll up the sleeves of your mind. Or as some of our translations put it, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. What he is showing us here is that it requires mental effort To remind yourself that you are in a new situation. Being in the family of God means that you have been lifted up from one way of life to another. Being in the family of God means that you have been brought from darkness into light, from death into life. And that means you are called to live differently. A son doesn't live like a slave. He has new rights and new responsibilities in the home. Likewise, the Christian is no longer a slave to sin. Adopted through the work of Jesus Christ, he has been lifted up to a new position as a child in the household of God with new rights and new responsibilities. And it's because of that that you are called to make that shift To make that shift from having the mindset of a slave to having the mindset of a son and reflect on how do I think differently in this new life? To be sober and, as we read, rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, once again, we're reminded that our effort is not grounded in our own righteousness. But our effort is grounded in the grace of Christ. So in light of that, we are called to obedience. Obedience seen in this sense is not just some religious leader imposing his authority on someone for his own ends. Obedience, in this sense, is the joyful response that comes from an adopted child who has been brought into a completely new life situation. Having been adopted, you don't need to fear that what you genuinely struggle with will cause you to be thrown out of the home. If your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are now and you forever will be a part of this new family. But it does mean that as a natural course, by the convicting and empowering work of the Spirit, you will seek to find out and live by the house rules, not as someone who is compelled to under the threat of eviction, but as someone who is so filled with joy and so filled with thankfulness to his father in heaven or her father in heaven that they want to please them in any way that is possible and want to seek out how they can please him. Recognize how different your life is, Peter teaches us, as different as going from a slave to a son, Find your obedience in your new identity as a child of the Most High God, because through Christ you are brought into a new family and a new life. Therefore, as obedient children, live no more as slaves, but live as those who hope, have a hope in Christ. Live no longer conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but instead as obedient children. Live as holy children. And this brings us to our second point, living thankfully in the presence of our Father in holiness. The call to holiness is one that's an unnerving call. Even in many churches that call themselves Christian across North America, they're scared of the idea that they might be imposing their religion on someone with a call to holiness. And so they don't send out the call to repent, to turn from your sin, to flee to the resurrected Christ, the risen Christ. Instead, Jesus is marketed off many pulpits in terms of of just the benefits that you get. If you come to Jesus, you will have a better life, they say. Your relationship with your wife that was on the rocks will get much better. Your emotional scars that come from being bullied in school will begin to disappear. Following Jesus is a way to happiness. What are we to think of that? Well, if we look back in church history, we recognize that that's not always the case. Even in the earliest days, in the Bible itself, we read about how men who held to the gospel, how men who turned away from their former lives were held up to ridicule and to abuse. And we see this same pattern carried out time and time again throughout the course of church history. We only have to think back to the history of our very own churches, Canadian Reformed churches, having come from the churches in the Netherlands, having come from around the time of secession, and having faced fines from the government, having faced abuse and insults. This is something which is real for the people of God. in Jesus Christ, you are called to recognize that your life might not always be immediately happier. But your life will be better because you find your comfort outside of the happiness that is immediately given us in this world. Your comfort rests in eternity. The Bible teaches us That living in obedience to God is always the better way to live, even if it means suffering. Because we have that comfort. We are firmly grounded. If happiness is our only goal, then we really have nothing else to offer the world. Because if they aren't feeling sad, if they aren't feeling depressed or torn down by their current way of life, If they're carrying on in a way that says life's okay for me right now, especially around this time of Thanksgiving, when they're reflecting on the many things that they have and the families that they rest with, then they'll say, I am happy. You have nothing to offer me. If they're not feeling sad, why should they care? But here in our passage, we're brought again to recognize that we are not just calling the world to happiness. We are calling the world to holiness. But what does the word holy even mean? Holy means to be set apart. Boys and girls, you can have the idea of something special in your life that you take and you set aside be it a book or a game or something else, it means a lot to you, and because it means a lot to you, you set it aside and you don't let anybody else touch it. That's kind of the idea, what you'll find behind the word of holiness. But there's more to it than that as well. Holy, when spoken of in terms of what God does to us, Holy means that God not only sets us apart, not only treats us as something special, but that He makes us into something special. He not only chooses us for Himself, but He cleans us up spiritually, and He dedicates us to Him. All of the guilt of our sin, all of the bad things that God hates, he has put that on Jesus Christ instead of punishing us for it. And then he takes all of the good work that Jesus Christ did for us and he places it on us. He gives it to us as a gift. But there's even more to holiness than just that. Because while our guiltiness is taken away, We still do bad things, don't we? We're not perfect. We still sin. And so God doesn't just leave us alone where we stand, but God the Holy Spirit comes to work in our hearts and fight wars against the sin that is still within us. And so when we see ourselves fighting against the bad things we do, out of love for God, as obedient children to God, we know that it is the Holy Spirit who is working in us. And as we are fighting that, against that sin in our lives, we can recognize that that is what God is doing in making us something special, in making us holy. In biblical language, we call this being consecrated, this being consecrated for the Lord, being sanctified and being set apart for work in his kingdom and to his glory. But if it really is what God does in us, then why do we read in our passage here to be holy. Why does God tell us to be holy if it's something that He does? Well, I want you to notice the way that it's put here. It says, be holy. In both English and in the original Greek, we can see that it's not act holy, but That it's something that happens to you. Holiness is a state in which you are placed. But it's more than that. Yet, the way that it's phrased here, we can see that it's not just left at that. We can see that holiness is not just something that you are put into. But it's a state of being that having been placed in it, God calls you to actively participate in it. Verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Just as he co- who called you is holy. God himself is holy because he is set apart from everything. He's perfect, he's divine, he's God, and that itself sets him apart. For him, it's not something that's, Placed on him like it is for us, for him, it's an essential part of who he is. And so, in light of that, when we read, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, we can see that God is not calling you to become the same as him, because we can never be equal to God. But in calling us to be holy, we can see that he is calling us to fight, to live out in life the situation that he has placed us in, the work that he is doing in our lives. As the Reformed theologian John Calvin writes, as even the most perfect are always far, very far from coming up to the mark, we are daily to strive more and more And we ought to remember that we are not only told what our duty is, but that God also adds, I am he that will sanctify you. That is to say, I am he that will make you holy. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. By these words, God is calling you essentially to become what you are. Peter here is writing to the saints. He is writing to those who are children. And he says, As obedient children respond with holiness. For you who believe in Jesus Christ as his chosen people, you are something special. You are holy. You are uniquely his. But more than that, you are being cleansed from within to become a better people by the power of his spirit. A people who are being shaped In service of this Almighty God. Now we are living in a fallen and a broken world. And our enemies, the devil, the world, and even our own flesh, don't stop trying to pull us away from God. They don't stop trying to pollute us and make us unholy. For example, for you boys and girls, at school, our own insecurity and our need to prove ourselves will sometimes push us to become bullies. We may not think that we're bullies, but every time that we put other people down, we are indulging our sinful nature. We are indulging our own insecurity and our own need to prove ourselves. Every time we make fun of another person at their expense to make us look better or us feel better, we're bullying. We are acting in a way that is unholy. If if what we're saying is not building the other person up, but is instead tearing them down, then we are fighting against the new creation that is at work inside of us. We are fighting against that holiness which God has placed inside of us. Every time that we turn away from God, in every aspect of our lives, Every time that we sin, we are making an active choice to fight against the holiness that God is working in our lives. The devil will take advantage of this. The devil will feed that insecurity. He'll feed that desire to take it out on other people. This is not right says, God, this is not right. I have made you a holy people. And so Peter carries on. He says, if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Recognize that you are building something on that foundation of Christ being in Christ, as those who have professed their faith in Christ, you are building something. As you live out that holiness, you are building something that is strong. As you live in sin, fighting against that holiness, you are building something that is weak. You are building something that is wicked and will be torn down. We read in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 and following, no other foundation can any lay on that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And we recognize that. On him alone rests our salvation. That is the state of the church which Peter is speaking to. But it continues. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, Precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the final day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on the foundation of Christ endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as one who passes through fire. And so live in fear, Peter calls the people here, too. He says, live in fear. Not because we fear that our salvation will be taken away, but because we desire to live a life that is holy and build upon that foundation of Jesus Christ. The road to holiness is a long one. The road of sanctification, as it's called, is not one of instant change. Rather, it's worked in us by the power of the Holy Spirit as we obediently and deliberately seek the things that are above. And so, let us respond in light of that. And let us remember where our foundation lies. As Peter goes on to say that we were redeemed not with corruptible things like silver or gold from our aimless conduct received by tradition from our fathers. But we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot remembering that, let us strive to build on that foundation of Christ in holiness. Let us strive to live in holiness, focused on the right things in life, focused on Jesus as our Lord and seeking to build each other up in Christ, not tear each other down. Not focused on building up material goods here on earth, but on spreading the kingdom of God, whether it be here in Owen Sound, in Gray County, or even beyond. Because all of those material things will pass away. They will be burned with the world in a purifying fire when Jesus Christ returns. But what is eternal will remain. And so, reflecting on this passage, be reminded again, never doubt your foundation in Christ if you have put your faith in him. For by faith you are His, and He will never let you go. And in light of that, let our work and our identity reflect the foundation on which it is built. That precious cornerstone who is Christ. As we read in the final verses, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but He was manifested. He appeared in these last times for you who through Him believe in God. Who, ra- who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope is in God. Beloved, as we go into Thanksgiving, into this Thanksgiving celebration that's coming ahead, let us remember this and let us strive to live a life of thankfulness, a life of holiness, committing ourselves once again to live for him. Amen.